This is a Bergen Film Club podcast. Like an old movie, removed from frame, I am floating and looking for someone to blame. Won't you project me on the walls of your heart? I'm waiting for the real thing to start. Hello, and welcome to The Real Thing. I am your host, Joe Lawrence, and Kamala Harris, we did it, Joe, episode 10. I'm very, I'm, I really, I didn't want to make this like a big melodramatic moment, but uh, this is the longest that I've ever worked on anything, like consistently. I truly probably would say, apart from like school, this is like, just been something I've been very... I feel very lucky to be able to do this, delivering this podcast to the listeners week by week. I'm very grateful to those who do listen, and yeah, it's just it's just very cool. Like episode ten, you know, it's like it's not a huge milestone, but it's a milestone all the same, and it's very nice. And I just feel very thankful. I guess I'm just starting the we're starting off uh, positive today, full of good energy. Um, this is the latest, actually, that I've ever recorded the podcast. Uh, it's coming out tomorrow, so uh, just uh, also showing that I'm forever a changing human being, and yeah. But I really just want to say thanks so much to Ingrid and Mamina, who are the researchers for this podcast. They are just two of the most incredible young women and I'm very grateful to both of them for basically making this podcast possible. I've always strived to deliver it weekly, and I don't think that I could do that without without those two. So, yeah, shout out them, and I'm just I'm just in a good mood. I guess I'm I'm very happy for uh for those for those two because I couldn't do it without them literally. So. Thank you, and thank you, Bergen Film Club, for facilitating my creative pursuits and allowing me to explore amazing movies. This podcast is an extension of said Bergen Film Club, which is an independent cinema in the heart of Bergen, Norway. The film club's main goal is giving a voice to those who deserve it, revealing insights into unknown cultures and showing awesome movies. And in this podcast, I talk about the films included in the film club's extensive program of movies, past, present, and future. And today, we are talking about a podcast, nope, we're talking on a podcast, about a film that I have been wanting to talk about for a long time. And I think I can say a long time, because it's been like 12 weeks that I've been actively doing the podcast, so that's quite a long time. We're talking about the movie, Who Can Kill a Child? Uh, I know immediately, that's quite a, a shocking title for a movie. But, okay, I'm going to take us back to November 2022. Yes, I had just 
started to become more involved in Bergen Film Club, still as a volunteer, but I'd been discussing with them already about the idea of doing a podcast. I was very enthusiastic about the idea of it. This is a little real thing, real thing law for the listeners. Uh, I'd been talking to them about starting the podcast, and after I watched this movie, Who Can Kill a Child, then my brain was just like propelled into... It just made me realize how I wanted to make the podcast and the kind of subjects that I want to talk about, the, w- the way that I do it, like presenting the film and then talking about some sort of broader theme. I thought that this film would be a really cool way to explore kind of topics that are a bit taboo and but nonetheless very interesting because this film is very interesting like it is uh it's nasty for sure like the the idea of it is is nasty but i think it brings up a lot of uh things to consider in the ways that we make movies and the subject matter that we talk about and also just putting us in like that's why i love about movies they it puts you in a situation that's kind of different from your own life and if you have the ability you can sort of suspend your own life for a second and really think like what would I do in that situation or and just yeah so I've been very excited to talk about this for a long time so and we are on this episode episode 10 one zero and onwards and upwards from here but let's start as we always do with some recommendations I am I'm still watching tv uh which I'm I'm happy about I, there's a lot of stuff that I just don't want to watch because it's like, I'm not, I'm not a very like, I don't want to watch comedies usually or anything like that. I've been watching Love is Blind season four, which is crazy. Um, yeah, it's even crazier than the previous season. It's like double crossings and drama and yeah, it's like just watching people act in the worst way possible but i'm watching it like yes oh yeah you be a bitch good for you um so i've been watching that and that's uh been giving me some laughs and good times but i'm gonna recommend a different show uh as well it is on amazon prime and it is called dead ringers which is a new mini series on Amazon Prime. It is a uh, remake, I suppose, or a reimagining of the David Cronenberg movie of the same name and sort of the same premise. Uh, it is um, basically the story of two twin gynecologists, uh, Elliot and Beverly, who uh, they work as uh, yeah as gynecologists at the hospital, and it's their kind of like dream to create their own uh birthing clinic because uh the existing system is failing women and women are dying and they want to create a way to reinvent gynecology and birthing stuff i guess and it gets it's i've only watched one episode so far and it's uh corrupt and devious and evil but Rachel Weiss plays the twins, and she is amazing. Uh, she she is such an incredible actress, and so she's like delicious as this character's. One of them's like sexually frustrated lesbian, and the other one is like 
doing coke all the time and a real real go-getter and she like pretends to be the other one to like snag women it's, it's just like it's crazy and it's a, it's a cool spin on the original from what i understand because i haven't seen it but it's great and i'm watching that and i can't wait to see more because i love uh, rachel weiss and everyone is great in it so yeah check that out on amazon prime uh in terms of movie recommendations i have not watched a lot of movies recently i've been uh i've been a busy guy i've been uh looking at seaweed lately so uh I'm, I'm busy doing that but i watched half of pulp fiction and i'm going to recommend it i'm sure that the latter half of the movie is also good this is uh this is wild what i'm doing right now i watched 40 minutes of a film and i'm like yeah it was good but it was good. I uh, I've never I've not really seen a lot of Quentin Tarantino films, and uh, he is interesting. He's very interesting. He's weird, and I have not really I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I hated. It was so boring. Uh, but I've seen Kill Bill one and two, and I loved that. But that was because it was like so campy and so uh like women doing women shit and it was very great but i'm enjoying this very much so far so yeah i'm gonna recommend pulp fiction i can say that the first 40 minutes are great the dialogue is awesome i have to say like i think uh, some people have said that it's kind of a slow burn but i'm like kind of uh enamored uh, with the with the dialogue honestly i think it's great so yeah definitely check that out we have a very cool interview today that is a, a meaty interview, so rather than pussyfooting, beating around the bush, let's just jump straight into the film and the, and the interview. Today, we are talking about the 1976 movie, Who Can Kill a Child? So Who Can Kill a Child is a 1976 Spanish movie directed by Narciso Ibanez Cerrador. Um, and this, he was a horror film director, and this was his second and last film that he ever directed. He was also known as Chicho Ibanez Cerrador, or had a pen name of Luis Peña Fiel, uh, and was a Spanish television film theater director, actor, and screenwriter. He received many accolades throughout his career, including a Lifetime Achievement Award presented by the Spanish Television Academy in 2002, the National Television Award presented by the Spanish Ministry of Culture in 2010, and the Honorary Goya Award presented by the Spanish Film Academy in 2018, uh, which was a year before he died, which was in 2019. So for a brief summary of the plot. It follows an English couple who discover an island inhabited by maniacal children. The film begins with a montage, which is super intense and horrible, and we talk about it in the in interview, that depicts essentially the effects of war, etc. on children. And basically, the how children always seem to be the victim of uh, 
what adults are doing, basically. Um, so then this uh, cuts sort of documentary style to the film, which is the story of an English couple, Tom and Evelyn, who are taking a holiday before the birth of their fir- third child. They arrive on the island, inhabited by children who behave in a strange and unusual manner, and they are grim-faced and silent, starey and creepy. And it seems like they are the only uh, people on the island because all the adults are missing. And then they later learn that basically the children have killed almost every single adult on the island, and then they must fight for survival, basically. And then that brings up the question, which Evelyn so beautifully says, but who can kill a child? And it's this sort of dilemma that then follows them through the rest of the film that Tom is basically trying to protect his pregnant wife as much as he can, but protecting them from scary, violent children is uh, hard for... These people are both parents, and can they kill a child to protect themselves, basically, is the dilemma that then sort of follows through the rest of the movie. In terms of the film's uh, production... So the main characters are, are played by Louis Flander and Prunella Ransom. But it actually uh, turns out that later that the director was actually quite unhappy with the performance of Louis Flander and that originally he wanted the role to go to Anthony Hopkins, who had to turn down the role because he was busy. But he was very happy with Prunella Ransom's role. According to the original idea of Emmanuel Serrador, the director, the dialogues between the main couple had to be filmed in English, since Evelyn, not understanding anyone's explanation in Spanish, did not find out what was happening, since her husband, uh, who's like the only link to speaking Spanish, um, did not find out what was happening because he was withholding the information, basically. Um, however, when the film was in post-production, before the premiere, the producers decided last minute to dub the voices of Prunella Ransom and Louis Flander into Spanish as they considered it uncomfortable for the viewer to have to read a good part of the film, giving up that idea. Therefore, the director's basically always been in disagreement for a lot of stuff that happened after the film. In terms of uh, reception, it's uh, mostly been mostly been good. Even like modern critical receptions and film critics think that it's a cool, good movie. Maitland McDonough from TV Guide said, It may be the finest variation on an enduring horror theme, the violent rebellion by children against cruel or indifferent adults. It has gained a cult following over the years since its initial release. Uh, and there was a remake, in a Mexican remake in 2012, called Come Out and Play, which closely mirrors and resembles the plot of the original, but it's also like it's like a shot-by-shot remake, which is strange. We talk about it in the interview a little bit about whether a good film to remake. Um, but let's save it for the interview. We were joined again by the wonderful Bendifixness of BFK, horror aficionado. We talked uh, all about this film because he chose to have this film on our uh, autumn 2022 program. And it was very fun to talk to him about. He is a, He's a strange little guy, but... It was very fun nonetheless. So here is the interview. Hello, Bendik. Hello, Joe. Thank you very much for being back on the podcast for the third time. This is the third time. Yeah. And I thank you. I'm happy to be back. Mm-hmm. But I'm starting to wonder if this is a campaign for from you to kind of slowly ruin my reputation and make everybody thinks I'm, uh, think I'm a psychopath. 
Because you started by having me on an episode where I spent an hour discussing blood, mm-hmm. film blood, that nobody cares about, but I care about it. Yeah. And then now you have me coming back to talk about children dying on film. Yeah. Yes. And also last time it was children nearly dying. Yes, being hunted. Yeah. Mm. So mm. there is a pattern here. I think rather than rather than uh, trying to expose you as a psychopath, I think it's more that I'm trying to figure you out. Okay, yeah. So yeah. a side project of the pod has mm-hmm. become dissecting Bendik's psyche. <laughs> Just trying <laughs> Exposing to, yeah, it through film. Unresolve some sort of complex issue that you might have because mm. uh, we got quite deep last time that you were here we were talking about like your religious childhood trauma mm. and a scary dream about your dad that you had that's right so maybe this episode will find something illuminate even more trauma mm-hmm. yeah so we can figure out why you like all of this really yeah, that's true i remember when we screened this movie in in bergen film club mm-hmm. the first thing uh martin said to me after the screening was who hurt you yeah now, the... granted, Martin is a bit of a But yeah, I think uh, we will find out who hurt you, eventually. Eventually, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll... peel enough layers of the psychological onion, mm-hmm. and we'll reach the core. Yeah, uh, and eventually we'll have you resolved as a mm. woke Gen Z acting person. Oh, we'll... you will transform me into will... a woke Gen Z. Absolutely. Mm. That's my goal, really. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would be very good. Yeah. I do think in order to do that, you need a machine like Jennifer Lopez uses in The Cell, where she goes into the head of the killer and just changes him from within. I think that's what you need if you want to change me into a Gen Zer. <laughs> so today we are talking about the film Who Can Kill a Child from 1976. Can you read the Spanish title as well, Joe? Uh, ¿Quién puede matar a un niño? Wow, thanks. Um, you programmed this film. And I did. I have to say now that I'm a board member and I've been involved in half of a program meeting. How how did you get this programmed? That, well, <laughs> it was uh, surprisingly easy. Really? Yes. There wasn't anybody who... Maybe it was because I was so new to the board at that time. It was my second semester, I think. Mm-hmm. They didn't know. So they didn't uh, They didn't want to probably hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. And they'd cut like most of my suggestions in the semester before that. So okay. maybe they felt, okay, we'll need to give Bendik this. And probably also since they knew that I was kind of trying to continue the legacy uh, left by the legendary Kenneth Schiavol. Yeah, big fans of Kenneth on the yeah, podcast. They're very, they're very uh, big fans of Kenneth. I am too. I like Kenneth a lot. Um, yeah. But his um, his mission in the in the board was to program extreme movies horror that sort of thing and i tried to continue that trend so maybe that's why they allowed me to do it or maybe simply because they thought the movie sounded interesting mm-hmm. but it is one of those movies that has a title that repulses you immediately yeah like who can kill a child i remember i talked to some colleagues at work about oh i'm looking so much forward to we're screening my film this coming week oh what's it called and i'd say the title and they just kind of revolt immediately just mm-hmm. ugh. It's the same type of title like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. These evocative titles that just punches you in your face. And most people probably won't want to watch this one. Maybe we'll get some more to watch it after this podcast if we pitch it really well. Yeah. it's um, It was one of those movies that I had like on my top list when I was joining the board. I thought, okay, which movies 
would it be cool to show? <clears throat> so, so I wanted to show movies that um, I knew that probably a lot of people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. This is one of those movies, yeah. even though it is uh, certainly a well-regarded movie in horror circles, and most uh, avid fans of horror will have at least heard of it. But yeah. it's still one of those lesser-seen gems that needs to be rediscovered. And that's part of what the mission of Bergen Film Club is, is to yeah. show these things. Definitely. Um, the acting is quite naturalistic. Yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's, so. It's uh, not too big on the hysterics, ex- mm. except towards the end. Um, and it um, it's a lot of these horror movies from, from Italy and Spain um, didn't feature the best acting. So the contrast is pretty huge when you compare it to other movies from mm-hmm. that period that... Uh, Usually it was dubbed, their movies were dubbed, yeah. and that also lent it and always kind of feels weird when, um, yeah. because the dubbing isn't, isn't always as good. But this movie is not dubbed, because no. the whole plot is an English couple um, goes, they to goes to Spain. Mm. So it's natural that they would speak, uh, speak English, mm-hmm. which gives the movie also this uh, very natural feel. You don't get the dubbing, so it doesn't take you out of the film like bad dubbing is prone to do. Yeah, I saw that. That was one of the uh, like ideas of the director is to have every character speaking Spanish. So, he, like the the husband of the mm-hmm. main couple, he can speak Spanish and understand Spanish relatively well, but the wife does not. She's mm-hmm. only speaking in English, and there are times in the film when he learns terrible information in Spanish and he doesn't communicate that to her yeah. in English which I thought was kind of shitty um, just in general um, yeah. <laughs> but that it was kind of he wanted to play into this idea of that it becomes very isolating for the woman yeah in that for sense. Sure. it's like kind of because I feel like it's sort of focusing around her in a way yeah and it's not um, I don't think the Spanish dialogue in the movie is subtitled right no no it's not so that's the same move that um nicholas rogue used in don't look now Mm -hmm. uh his uh, horror film with donald sutherland and um oh god julie christie i think uh and that's uh, the whole thing in that movie is about a couple going to uh, venice to process grief after they lose their kid yeah and um none of the italian in that movie is subtitled and they don't speak nearly as good Sp- Italian as the guy in this movie speaks Spanish okay. so it, it contributes to the isolating feel yeah. it contributes to the sense of alienation and that you're uh, you're stuck in this strange place where you can't really communicate just like in Femme Fatale yes but that was Vinay's fault oh Vinay forgot to oh. check the subtitles because okay. apparently he doesn't he doesn't care about watching my movies uh, for an hour to check that they're okay. He only watches the uh, Marketa Lazarova for one hour because uh, that's more of a uh, snobby movie, I guess. Okay. That's the Vinay diss of today. Okay. We I love Vinay. Okay. You're going to cut it out, aren't you? Maybe not. Maybe not cut it yeah. out. Yeah. He uh, doesn't listen to this anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> no, we love Vinay, yeah. but he didn't watch uh, far enough. And it, but yeah, I'll. But the I'll, French was like, it was okay. For me, at least. Yeah, I, if I had remembered my, how much of the movie of my personal experience was that it was, it was understandable French. Yes, because De Palma is such a strong visual storyteller. You get the, the you get the story without, okay, the need for French. But let's go back to Who Can Kill a Child. I just this wanted to say, a... actually, 
just when you're saying that you're saying it's visual storyteller sure but you can tell that the dialogue was written in english and then translated into french probably yeah because that's why it was easy to understand that is probably true as well but let's that's uh, my diplomatist of the day but okay i'll, I'll, I'll allow it <laughs> because i've admitted that the palma is not the best script writer in the world mm. okay um but yeah um anyway uh the who can kill a child is not dubbed and uh that's i guess what we're praising it for that mm. it's not dubbed and that it's uh largely pretty uh, strong but it the opening movie the opening f- five minutes is probably the worst part of the film horrifying yeah. part yeah um that i had to give a content warning or a trigger warning that's what we call it yes and you know you you wouldn't think that there would be a need for a trigger warning if people pay money to see a movie called who can kill a child you pretty much know what you're in for but um the opening of this movie are pretty rough it's basically um well i assume you've already explained the plot but the gist of the movie is that um throughout history atrocities have always been committed against children or children has been made to suffer because of the atrocities committed by largely adults yes um whether or not that be famine or wars or whatever kids suffer at the hands of adults and we've been cruel to children throughout the course of history and this movie is kind of the children fighting back even though it does it's hinted at that they're possessed of some kind of entity sure um the children are fighting back against the adults and in order to underline his point the director chose to um chose to open his film with a long and excruciating montage of documentary footage of actual children uh being hurt he uses footage from holocaust from concentration camps he uses footage from um famine in africa and well it certainly hammers the point of the film home it is perhaps a bit gratuitous i it's, think uh, it's a bit much it's a bit much i think that that could have been some kind of like poignant quote and then the film could have started probably yeah, yes i think i like I, he beats you over the head with it and it's pretty it's it's horrifying like i'm here talking about why i like this film and why i like i i should underline that i like i i don't mind kids being killed in movies when it's pretend because movies are pretend i don't want to see it in real life i think it's horrifying in real life and this movie makes me watch it in real life for the first five minutes yeah and it's not it's it's disturbing it's uh and it's supposed to be a disturbing film but Mm -hmm. it goes a bit overboard and i had to warn people about that that, okay if you can make it through the first five minutes of the film you'll make it through the rest no problem Mm -hmm. but the first five minutes are rough yeah um so that was um uh, and also, I thought that I was being clever because I hadn't watched the movie for probably 10 years. And my memory was a bit hazy, but I couldn't remember um, I couldn't remember the message of the film being... I thought the message of the film was only being communicated through those first five minutes with those uh, the montage of the children being killed. And so I, when I was introducing the film, I launched like it, like it was almost my interpretation of the film that, oh, it's about children suffering through the years. And I thought I was being so clever. And then, you know, the movie spells it out just like yeah. half hour later. So mm-hmm. a, a, a character literally just says, oh, we've made children suffer so much over the years. Now they're yeah. fighting back. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I just, I was sitting in the theater just going, oh, okay. Yeah. That was not my idea. Yeah. Again, I, it's just been stored un- subconsciously yeah. in my mind. 
well, I guess everyone thought that you were being smart. Yeah, for like 30 minutes. Yeah. And then they realize, oh, he's just a hack. He's just regurging what he's uh, seen. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, the movie starts out pretty uh, slow. Mm. It sets the stage. It sets the mood. We first get, we get to spend some time with this couple as mm-hmm. they um, go on their holiday. And then they decide, they decide to go to this island. Yeah. And A holiday they, before the wife gives birth. Exactly. She's yeah. pregnant. And the movie is um, a slow burn, I think. Nothing much happens for the first 50 minutes. Yeah. they It spends a lot of time building the atmos. Yes. If you will. So when they get to the island and you get the feeling that something is not right. And also, you know, because previously they have witnessed a body washing up on shore on the mainland. Yeah. So that's kind of a bad omen. Mm-hmm. And they reach this deserted island and there's only kids almost there are a few adults loitering around yeah but that's when we um we get to spend some time at the island we get to we know that okay something's not right because all of the adults are they're gone gone yeah they find like this ice cream um, uh, this ice cream vendor with no vendor in it (laughs) just so scary (laughs) yeah uh so it's just deserted and they think maybe it's a siesta or something Mm -hmm. uh and uh then they um which is so English. Yeah, it's very <laughs> English. Well, they're probably asleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those Spanish. Those lazy Spaniards. Yeah. 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 But um, no. And then after a while, they, they meet the kids for the first time and they get to see like the, the father, no, the husband uh, gets to, he goes into a church. Yeah. No, no, not a church. He... It's like a courtyard kind of a courtyard yeah yeah he goes in there and he sees this uh man hanging upside down still alive and kids standing around him beating him with pickaxes and and sticks and whatever mm-hmm. he's a human pinata yeah and they beat him to death and yes. they laugh while doing it all these kids and this is where we get to like the best decision the director uh, made i think in terms of his direction mm-hmm. was that when he was directing the kids he didn't tell he wasn't telling them to look evil don't try to be evil or just be act natural just laugh play mm-hmm. have fun yeah so he captures like truly joyous children just laughing smiling while they're committing these horrible acts which adds to the disturbing nature of the film it's because the kids become 10 times more scary because they are so yeah. happy because it's just natural it's natural yeah, yeah. And that's what I found most disturbing about the film is these uh, kids because they're a genuine threat. Yep. And uh, they they they're scary. There are plenty of shots of uh, of uh, children smiling, and uh, that just gives gives me the creeps. Yeah. Um, and well, I guess it's it um, it uh, nowadays maybe the movie has lost some of its punch because we will talk about more later about probably more common now to have children being hurt in films than it was back then but mm-hmm. this movie treats that as a big big taboo and yeah. the whole kind of gist of the film is that these two grown-ups they're put in a situation where they might have to kill children to stay alive themselves yeah and that's obviously horrifying for anyone yep. you don't want to do that yes but uh they're they're repeatedly put in situations where they have no other recourse and i guess so we will get to it but some might argue that they go a bit far to not hurt these children even though they know that the children has done some pretty ter- uh, terrible things 
Yeah. Like there's a scene where they crash their car because they don't want to mow them down. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of people in the theater was just, I'll just, just run them over. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, may- maybe that's one of the more unrealistic parts of the film is not mm. children killing adults. It's uh, the resistance of the adults to kill the children. Exactly. But, you know, if you try to put yourself in the situation, like I probably would go pretty far too not to hurt mm-hmm. kids, even though I was in... If I, who knows? If you're in that kind of situation, maybe it's different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, but we do have, like, most of us will have, like, this built-in instinct that we want to protect children. Mm-hmm. We don't want to see children getting hurt. Yep. Um, and that's sort of what the movie is kind of pushing, uh, like, these grown-ups to do. Um, but once they witness this uh, poor man getting beaten to death, that's when the husbands start to react, I guess. He starts to feel like something is off. Even though he... He might be a little bit passive even after that scene. Yeah, and from what I remember, he doesn't tell his wife what he just saw. Yeah, because he doesn't want to stress her because she's pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is a stupid decision, but it is that's, very stupid. What, that's and the choice he makes. continues <laughs> not to tell her. Yes. Because then they meet one of the remaining men who's been like hiding out. Mm. Um, he's like one of the children's fathers who's left, and he's telling the sort of like... Uh, the exposition in the film he's sort of telling the fa- the main man what's happening mm. whilst his wife is sitting there not understanding and he's just like oh it's nothing just uh don't worry about it yes but it's like i think you would rather stress someone out than not tell them that their life is in danger yeah you get kind of frustrated with him yeah uh, towards the middle because decisions. Yeah, yeah yeah he keeps not telling her and you become like oh jesus christ man just tell her yeah. So you guys can get away. Yep. He keeps trying to. Oh, everything is fine. Mm-hmm. He keeps uh, trying to just uh, trick her. But that's also a really haunting scene when the the survivor with when they meet. He, uh, I guess it's his daughter. Yep. Who says, "Come to me, daddy," or something, and and he yeah. follows. Yes. And you just hear a scream uh, in the night, and then they're completely alone, mm-hmm. um, which is so terrifying. And after that, it becomes kind of a chase movie. Yeah. They try to escape from to these several children. different locations. Yes, uh, they go to this. Uh, they go to this lady, who lives by the shore. Yeah, right. You, yeah, and you get yeah. that great shot of um, one of the kids. I guess the leader of the kids. They kind of film him uh, from um, a frog perspective. I don't know. They have the camera like pointing up at him, and behind him, you see all the kids starting to go down the go down the cliff, which yeah. is just so terrifying. Because he's he got this whole army of kids, sort of like the, the Wicker Man when they all like kind appear on the horizon. Like the yeah, yeah, kind of like the Wicker Man, or or, or another shot that it, I guess it kind of reminds me of is uh, in Hitchcock's The Birds, where the uh, the main actress she sees she sits uh, she waits for her kids to get out of school, and she sits with her back against this uh, playground, and there's like three or four birds sitting on the one of the uh, swings mm-hmm. and then every time the movie cut the ca- camera cuts back to her there's a little bit more birds on the on the swing and then more and more and after a while it's just covered in birds oh yeah and you know oh shit the shit's about to go down but yeah that's also the scene where you, they imply that there is some sort of entity that has possessed these kids because the leader of the kids touches one of the kids and it's implied that it's something is transferred to them yeah i've more understood it that it was like they had to look into each other's yeah, eyes yeah like kind of thing or something yeah. yeah 
And the threat in the movie is always, even though it spells out its message pretty big and within capital letters, yeah, uh, the actual nature of what's happening is never explained. No, uh, and that's um, no. I, I appreciate that. I like when they mm-hmm. leave. Um, like a lot of the best horror is the um, f- the fear of the unknown, where where you don't get everything explained. There is some mysterious something mysterious left mm-hmm. that you're never really quite sure of what is. So that's really cool, I think. Um, but I guess the the detour to this woman's house is just a little detour. They go back. That's when we get the car crash. Yeah, because he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to mow the children down. And at that point, I guess a lot of people in the audience were, were getting frustrated because at this point, the children has been doing so many crazy shit to them, so much crazy shit that you'd think that they didn't, you'd, they'd stop caring and just kind of plow them down. Yeah, but I think then they say like uh, they only like come in like, kind of. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, so. probably that they are just sort of like being scary mm. in the daytime and then at night is when they're like that when they actually hurt people yeah I think that's what I understood mm. like zombies like zombies yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a zombie film yeah um, except that they're not actual zombies they still possess some of their most of their attributes I mm-hmm. guess um, but that's when we get the um, little mini assault on precinct 13 reenactment where they uh, kind of uh, shelter themselves in uh, yeah in, in the prison yeah yeah and um the children's the, it's become like a siege movie yeah where they try to get in and then there's this little cute kid probably the cutest kid in the film climbing up uh yeah through the f- uh, through the bars. they're in like a jail cell yeah. Point, yeah they're in the jail cell and there's this little kid just climbing up to a window it's he smiles in a really creepy way and he has a little gun yes <laughs> And that's when the first kid in the movie is get killed because the father yeah. sees it. No, the, yeah, the, the man sees it. He turns around and he shoots. Yeah. And he shoots the kid in the face. And it's treated like really heavy in the film. Mm. Like they become horrified what, of what they've done, which you probably would have been. Yeah. Um, I didn't really see that shock landing as well with our modern day crowd. Uh, I think most people at that point where we showed it was kind of like, oh yeah, come on, please shoot 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 them yeah but they're because so like there shocked. was surprising a lot of laughter during our screening i guess but yeah. that's yeah you know who knows why um maybe it's just the movie being old and people with their new sensibilities uh don't yeah, okay are scared i don't know i think maybe uh especially with old films which is not necessarily something i've ever found issue with is um i think a lot of people have a hard time suspending disbelief mm. especially in horror and stuff and i think that maybe that's why a lot of people don't like it it's because you they can't like give up the ghost for an hour and a half and just enjoy it. i recently watched animal 2 <laughs> yeah again with a friend of mine and i was i was bugged because he was just like oh why are they doing that oh, oh of course that mm. happened like shut up and just like yeah, get you give yourself over to the film. Like, why are you going to the cinema? Yeah, you become immersed. <laughs> that is. True. I'm mad. Um, yeah, that is a. But a I rant. think that's a that's kind of like maybe when I felt like like if you watched like when I watched the original Suspiria, which I guess is sort of in the same time period as this film. Mm-hmm. I think it's scary and 
the like the vibe of it is scary but i know that a lot of people who would watch it now is kind of uh expecting one thing and then when it's kind of like campy or whatever then it's hard to suspend disbelief for that long mm. so i think i think that's why people laugh yeah and with argento it's um sometimes his movies um oh, go a little bit over the top yeah. uh, so it's uh, like if you want if you want a horror movie that's okay to laugh at it's phenomena it might be my favorite of argento's films even though objectively suspiria is probably his best yeah i think phenomena phenomena is really cool starring jennifer connelly as a mutant Ooh. she can control bugs cool and john donald pleasance in a strange role as her professor and it's it's so much fun and he uses argento uses the most inappropriate soundtrack like he uses uh, songs by iron maiden and motorhead oh. <laughs> in this horror film uh, it's really strange but mm. it's so much fun yeah and it's okay to laugh like i've considered programming phenomena uh because it would be a great time at the cinema Pe- yeah. people can laugh but it's like on blo- uh the blood and satan's claw mm-hmm. i i did not have a good time watching that film i thought it was very scary mm-hmm. but a lot of people were laughing yeah and there are some that. campy elements in that movie um not not Virgil not Lawrence. No, no, that was scary. But um, I think I know what you mean. That maybe the sort of maybe just in the delivery of the scene, it it I think it could have been more like inflated to have more of like a gravitas or something, or mm. make the that child dying very uh like dramatic and big. But I found that maybe the kid dying wasn't so extreme. Mm-hmm. Lol, but uh. <laughs> The reaction of the children to that happening is that mm. they sort of like they're like oh, and sort of walk away and in my head the film because i have this horrible tendency of writing my own uh, version of films whilst i'm watching them in mm. my head i thought that like it's almost as if this whatever this thing was was like daring the adults to kill a child mm. and then when they did it that would sort of like break the spell Right, and now yeah. they just have to deal with this terrible, terrible thing yeah, that they've done. That's interesting. So uh, that's my that's the Joel Lawrence alternate ending. That's the alternate ending. Yeah, because <laughs> it doesn't actually change them. They get scared, they get away, but yeah, they come back with a vengeance. With a vengeance, yeah. they do. And after the um, maybe it's also to do with the, the way it's directed. I think that um, Ibanez, I forget his name, uh, Narciso Ibanez Serrador, I think. I think he's a really good director. And uh, in fact, I just uh, watched um, a previous film he did last night called The House That Screamed, which was also really, really good, like a proper gothic horror with some great twists and an ending that kind of, it's a slow burn, but the ending is just a punch. Really recommend it. It's really good. Um, But I think he's a really good director. Mm. He might go a little bit overboard in his direction of the emotions. It could also be the actors. Yeah. But they're sometimes a bit too emotional. And maybe that's what kind of takes some of the punch away from the moment where the kid is dead because the the man is so distraught. He might go a little bit too far in yeah. his um, And he's not acting. the strongest He's actor. not the strongest actor. It's a little like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not there. Yeah. And then after we get the... Um, that's when the wife dies. Yeah, because uh, everything is seemingly okay. And yes. then all of a sudden... Then She's the baby in the belly turns against its mother and kills her from within. Yeah. And it's a really strong moment. I think, mm. again, there are one or two lines which the um, 
the wife utters that I probably could have done without that the moment would have become stronger if they removed some of her lines like she's a bit hysterical like it's killing me from within <laughs> it's like a little bit over the top but largely it's a pretty strong scene yeah that's just like whoa that is fucked up yeah that this baby kills her from within yeah and, and I think mm, it's also the list of what I was saying that they were sort of like daring him to do it like mm-hmm. kill child and then he does it and then that's sort of like that's a punishment yeah yeah that the fetus was like waiting yes and that's what we were talking about earlier when this uh when one of the kids is stroking her belly she's uh bewitching the baby mm. it would seem and may- turning the baby into one of them mm. so it's really a s- sinister scene yes it's pretty nasty yes mm-hmm. and at that point the father loses all he has nothing more uh to lose to he's lose. already killed one child yeah, he's already killed one child. He goes out there with his machine gun and all these kids are, are standing in front of him yep. and he just starts mowing them down with his yeah. machine gun. Mm-hmm. Just brrr, all of the kids just dying in a bloody bloody um, chaos. And then he fights his way to the, um, to the boat and cops finally show up and what they see is uh, him punching kids. So they shoot him, naturally. Yep. And he dies. Yes. It's one of those great fatalistic uh, endings, say in the same vein of uh, Wicker Man and all these uh, yeah. dark uh, horror endings. Uh, and then it's implied that the children are taken back to the mainland, and shit will uh, undoubtedly go down. Yeah, it's like uh, quite an ambiguous uh, ending because you already see them, like the children waiting to greet them on the dock or something, and then the transfer is already mm-hmm. begun at that point, and then I don't know. Yeah. World War Z. Yes. With children. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> we should have gotten a sequel. No, but I think it's a really, really good film. I think it's yeah, uh, yeah. so well made. Um it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's um it's for its time it pushes boundaries, I guess. Yeah. Um and Very it's pretty so. shocking even today. So um yeah, it was really, really fun to get to show it on the big screen. Yeah. And it's always scary because when when I whenever I program a film, I should always watch it before we we show it. Like I should have done that with Femme Fatale to avoid, so I would know that okay, shit, a large portion of this movie is in French. Should make sure that uh, Vinay has subtitles for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sometimes I've been considering like, oh, should I watch, rewatch the movie before the actual programming? Um, but then I always think, oh, no, but I really want to like look forward to it, to watch it on a big screen after such a long oh, yeah, time. I suppose. So that's what I always choose. But it's always, there was always the fear that what if this is not as good as I remember? And yeah. I remember thinking that with Death Dream, which ironically I ended up not being able to see on the big screen because I had to go to my brother's bachelor party. So I couldn't. Um, I didn't so get to watch selfish. it. So selfish, I know. But I had the same fear with uh, Who Can Kill a Child. Like, what if... I just misremembering this completely, <laughs> and it's not good at all. But it was but, good. Uh, it was good. Hmm. It it uh, I I uh, I was not misremembering. It was great. Yeah, I think as well. This is a controversial opinion. Mm. I'm pretty against usually remakes, sequels, mm. etc. But I would like to see one of these modern horror directors take a stab. Yeah. At the this uh, at this film. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, we've it, seen that remakes quite, yeah. uh, can do great things um, mm. but I guess this is the natural spin-off point where we'll uh, break break off and talk more about the general thing of kids being 
Hurton films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds more horrible than it is. But we were talking about um, about the thing, uh, the taboo that this movie takes on yeah. killing children in film. That is one of the, it used to be one of those unspoken rules of film. Like there's a few of them. I think w- if I can really think of it now, there's like come to mind four four taboo, rules which four are taboos i would say it's or it was hurting women on screen which we which just they said we've, got uh, rid of pretty we're okay with now women yeah. being hurt on screen is great um uh hurting animals mm-hmm. is one hurting children and i also just thought um men being naked that is true that is a taboo yeah for some reason yeah you uh yeah. or like specifically like soft penis naked yes yeah people you are rarely against. see that mm-hmm. people are against that mm. that is true mm. which is strange yeah but well tarantino just said uh sex and nudity has no place in film so but feet has <laughs> according to him <laughs> yeah so um, but uh but yeah no and i think that you know uh, hurting women they got rid of already in the 30s they started doing a, <laughs> a lot of crazy shit to those but um hurting um animals is still very much in effect we still see some animals being hurt in films but it's yeah it's still i think it's the most the biggest taboo that's still in effect next to the penis prohibition uh, <laughs> <laughs> because i was uh, going through um like the hurting of children and i realized that it's been um, an element of film for a long, long time mm. i was trying to think of and i'm sure that there there are much more examples but you can go all the way back to folk tales I mean, old folk tales. They didn't give a fuck about kids. They killed no. kids on mass in their uh, folk tales. Yeah, because they existed to scare yeah, exactly. children and be like, "Oh, if you do this, you will literally you get, will you'll die." die. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they read these stories to children, so from a pretty early age, you're you're exposed to children dying mm-hmm. in in uh, in entertainment. Yep. Um, I was trying to think of like one of the first movies that I can remember. Uh, where kids uh, are getting hurt is probably Fritz Lang's um, M, which stars Peter Lorre. Um, I think it's Fritz Lang's first um, hmm. sound movie. It's uh, also one of BFK's most shown. Is films. it? Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It's a really good film, and it's about a child murderer in Germany. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Lorre, uh, the great Peter Lorre, plays this child murderer, and it opens with a him hunting a, a, a girl and and killing mm-hmm. uh, killing her. But it's it's done off screen course yeah which most of these uh, children deaths are yes but i i guess i always feel that when uh, as long um as long as it's done right it's it can be a huge gut punch and it feel it gives you the feeling that when it when it happens on film um you feel like okay this movie pulls no punches okay this movie just killed a kid we don't know where to go from here anybody can be killed i guess there are no safe spaces yeah. anymore mm-hmm. right yeah um and throughout um throughout movie history like um uh, i think one of the other one of the other movies that kind of related to who can kill a child is um lucio fulci's uh, movie don't torture a duckling which i think may be one of my favorite lucio fulci films lucio fulci was this italian filmmaker who specialized in really gory films he made oh. uh, Cannibal Holocaust. He made uh, Zombie, also known as Zombie Flesh Eaters. He made The Beyond. All these films, are really gory horror films. But Don't Torture a Duckling is actually, for the most part, a, a pretty restrained, 
um, thriller whodunit. But the twist is that it is a slasher, kind of a slasher, mm. uh, where kids are being killed, like one by one. Yeah. Which is pretty uncommon. Yeah. Because you get you have plenty of slasher movies. You have plenty of, like, Friday the 13th and all these movies. But what the Americans would do is usually cast adults in the roles of teens, too. Yes. Because you don't want to you usually you have a sex scene you don't want to watch actual teens have sex you no. want yeah. <laughs> you want like a little bit more adult mm-hmm. people but um yeah no don't tor- torture Dr- duckling is a great example also you have spielberg before he lost his edge he opened his film like he opened jaws with a kid getting yeah eaten. and um oh he didn't make jurassic park did he he did make Jurassic yeah, Park, okay, but cool. he doesn't kill anyone in that one. In no kids. But in, in Jurassic Park 2. Yes. Then the opening of that is the little tiny dinosaurs killing that little girl. No. No? No, they rescue her. Oh. Because in a throwaway though. line in the next scene, they say, oh, she's fine. She's fine. Ah. Yes. But so it seems, only, uh, it's pretty horrifying. You still think that she's dead. I yeah, think. but they and remove the edge when they when okay, they said, oh, she was just a bit uh, eaten on. Mm. She's survived. But, but I, I think, think like Spielberg got softer over the years. Okay. I still think he's a talented filmmaker, but um, you'll see like Jaws, where he opens his film with a kid being eaten mm. on screen. He wouldn't do that today. And I a think. kid dies later in Jaws as well. No. Yeah. No. There's only one kid getting killed in Jaws. Mm, the one on the there's like the the mom with uh oh, and he's like this like kind of like chubby kid. Right? Doesn't he die? Uh, no, but, but I think we're thinking about the, of the same scene because when I say opening the film, the actual first kill in Jaws is Ooh. this girl who goes out nude swimming. Damn. But like okay. twenty minutes later, this then kid uh, goes out on yeah, his yeah, yeah. Uh, floatable on this floating thing uh, mattress, and then he gets eaten. Yeah. And, but I think you can almost draw a line like after Spielberg became a father himself. Okay where he wouldn't do it anymore because uh, he did uh, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom which I don't think features any kids getting killed but it featured kids being hurt yes and yes. I recently found out that the I've had I love Temple of Doom is my favorite Indiana Jones movie yeah. and I had that on DVD and I watched it so much that it's like scratched <laughs> to hell it doesn't work anymore I've seen it so many times that version that I've seen apparently is an edited version because then I watched it on TV maybe like two years ago and there's like you see the kids getting whipped and burnt and mm. everything and i was like oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. i have not seen any of this so even now like uh what, what's the opposite of retroactively oh it is retroactively yeah S- retroactively censoring yeah the film on dvd which i thought was uh, super weird yeah and spielberg but um i think like you can almost draw a line in, in the sand hmm it's the same way that a lot of my friends and my parents, I guess, they'll say that um, once they became parents, they hate seeing kids getting hurt in films, which I think is a pretty natural reaction, I guess. <gasps> when you have a kid yourself, it does something to you to watch kids getting hurt in films. So and maybe the um, <gasps> film critic Gene Siskel hated, he hated when a movie put children in jeopardy. He felt like it was a very manipulative and very easy way to uh, manipulate the audience. He hated when that happened, but I mean, you'll see it in in movies such in um, any Stephen King book. Stephen King loves hurting children. He does. It, you know, kids yeah. get killed a lot, and Salem's Lot. 
but that's like uh just what you're saying i think like pet cemetery is the mm-hmm. one stephen king book that i yes couldn't finish because i was like this is horrible like yeah it and uh I, the copy of pet cemetery that i have had some sort of like editor's note at the beginning mm. or uh, that Stephen King had wrote himself. Mm. And he said that he that he was married and I think he had one of his kids, but that's what made him start thinking about, oh, isn't it so terrible when children die? Mm. Wouldn't it be so horrible if a child died? And he wrote this book and sent the manuscript to his editor and the editor was like, um, this is awful. And he, his wife read it and she was like, this is the scariest, horrible thing that you've ever written and he then realized how horrible it was put it in like his desk drawer and just left it for like years because his editor and his wife were like this is maybe too much but it 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 is probably the most horrifying thing both in the novel and the original film when hit by a car and then coming back from the dead and then killing a baby yeah well yeah the the part when he comes back is one thing but the actual when he gets run over it's pretty horrifying I think That's it's horrible it. when it when when she comes back. I think. Oh really? Yeah, it's. I think the whole that the whole idea of like. But then then again, it kind of back like, uh, would you try and kill, your undead daughter? <laughs> yeah. If she was like trying to kill you and your wife and your like infant son. Hmm. No, I hate I hate pet cemetery. It's. It's horrible. Yeah, it's a pretty scary yeah. uh, film, a uh, scary novel, and a pretty scary mm. uh, the first uh, adaptation. But although I did recently watch the most recent remake, it's not good. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. it's really bad. Mm-hmm. But it, um, but I guess even even these two, like adaptations of Pet Cemetery, and a lot of these other movies we mentioned, when kids die, it is off screen. Yeah, uh, and most movies will do it off screen. But I remember one movie that didn't do it off screen. Um, uh, is M. Night Sh- Shyamalan's The Happening which is a really bad film it sucks okay. it's really really bad but there is I remember watching it in the cinema and there are two kids that join I mean they're teens so they're not te- kids but they're like 15 16 okay. and they join up with Mark Wahlberg and then one of them gets a shotgun blast to the face both of them get, get, get killed and I remember think, watching that and think whoa okay this movie is hardcore Mm-hmm. This is not pulling any punches. Yeah, but uh, it's not a good film. I don't recommend people. Watch it. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Just thinking off the top of my head, it's like not necessarily horror related, but you know, like Hunger Games, Battle yeah. Royale. That's that's chil- that's about children killing each other. It is, and yeah. That's pretty, and you see those deaths in those films, and that's like blockbuster movies. It is. Pre- I mean, in the first one, mm-hmm. because then the second one is with adults and the third one is like whatever also very good it's not whatever it's good um <laughs> yeah and battle royale like, they put uh, yeah. they cast uh, teens actual teens, yeah. teens. Mm-hmm. so that gives the movie a punch because you don't feel like it's adults 20 plus mm. who's running around it's actual 14 15 year olds but yeah like just uh, i was just thinking uh so the research that mamina did we found out that uh well i know this because in the american psycho book Patrick Bateman kills a child. He does. And in a did, zoo. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't uh, include that in the film. No. 
but then it was apparently okay to like flay women and well to be them. to be fair uh there were there are a lot of kids in uh, no a lot of uh, killings in the american psycho novel that they didn't uh, put in the film very true w- which are some pretty horrifying yeah actually the killing of the kid in th- that book is probably the least shocking aspect <laughs> and it is a p- even when he kills a kid it's pretty shocking it's mm. horrifying to read but there are some horrifying things in that book that yeah. uh, would be difficult to put on screen without it getting banned. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, and if I really try and think about the first thing that I ever watched with a kid dying in it, it was probably Bridge to Terabithia. Oh, really? Yeah. And that was like, just like that scarred a generation mm. of, ch- of children because it was like this fun children's movie where they have like this pretend world that they go to together. And then the girl goes there by herself mm. at the end of the film, and the bridge that they built collapses, and she falls into a flood and drowns. Oh, um, you yeah. see her going, but you don't see her drown. And then you just see like all of the police ambulance cars outside her house when the boy comes home. But that was like, yeah, oh, I must shit. have been maybe ten when I saw that. And I was like, yeah, but you know, speaking of that, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, kids get killed like a bunch in that film. They, don't, they, they don't drown die. in a chocolate they river die, and, and they sing afterwards they celebrate after the kids die but that's fun yeah but it's still pretty horrifying yeah. um but also I, little women i think for me that's probably the biggest saddest child's death that i could really think oh. of um you know we've talked a lot about uh, children dying in a kind of like an exploitative way where mm. it, it, it's meant meant to shock you but it can also be really sad and really horrifying yeah if they if they do it correctly like off the top of my head one of my favorite movies Grave of the Fireflies the Japanese animation uh, animated movie about two kids trying to survive in a war-torn Japan mm. where when the Americans are bombing the shit out of them mm-hmm. um, that is a genuinely yeah. genuinely horrifying watch I've watched sure. it once and I remember thinking this is for first I cried my eyes out yep and then I thought this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen yep. and I wanted to show it to my brother I think my brother was in an army at the time so when he came home I kind of oh yeah we, we have to watch this one but I, I could never bring myself to it and to this day I still haven't shown it to him because I can't bring myself to watch it again because it's so sad and it's so horrible to see all the the suffering that these kids are put through in the yeah. film but it is generally a, genuinely a great film Yeah, it's just so difficult to sit through I've only seen it once and I just like wept and mm. then stopped crying and then when then the credits rolled and I went to turn it off mm-hmm. on my DVD player and then I just sat on the ground and cried <laughs> whilst the credits rolled. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was so, similar to my reaction. Yeah. It's um they have a way of, of showing kids in Japanese Japanese animation where the kids seem like actual kids mm. uh, in American animation and, and probably a lot of um, like more Western anim- mm. uh, animation. Kids seem like adults, almost. Mm. They're yes. usually voiced by adults and they have like adults, um, a beha- adult behavior. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Japanese animation, it's, I, at least I think that they seem more like actual kids. Yeah. Uh, so it makes it even more horrifying when something bad happens to them. But I think, okay, we can end there. But I think the... <laughs> this joyous topic. <laughs> I think I've realized the conclusion to how we can fix you. Really? How? You have to have a kid. Then I won't like... Um, then you just will stop liking all of this horrible stuff. Well, I've had a nephew. And I watched the first episode of Dead Ringers today. 
Yeah. Which features? Did you feel a change? I actually felt it was a little bit horrifying mm. to see like bad things happen to babies in that mm-hmm. episode in that series. But I don't think I would change that much. If I had a kid, I think I'd still be able to sit through movies with children being hurt. Because you have that distance. You know that it's fake. Having said that, if Arrow or Criterion or whomever puts out Who Can Kill a Child on a special edition Mm Blu-ray, I will probably skip the first five minutes. I Mm. don't need to watch those again. that montage again. Okay. That will probably be my mantra going forward. Okay. Yes. But um, no, it's... I think it depends. Would you change that much if you had a kid? Would you? I mean, I mean, you have you have to change, mm. right? But I, I don't see it for me. I was actually thinking. Now we're kind of bouncing back and forth, but we were talking about um, like folk tales. I just mm. remember like the Rat Catcher, one of the. That's that's an that's an adventure story like they read to us mm. when I was a kid growing up, and and I would get one of my childhood traumas again. Not not a trauma, <laughs> but I remember this this tale that was told to us about this this city that's infested with rats and they get this rat catcher to come there and he plays his flute and he and, he, and that hypnotizes all the rats to follow him yeah the pied piper he, yeah the pied piper mm-hmm. and he he uh he leads them out of town and presumably they die that was also always the story that they read to us when i was growing up mm. it ends there with him helping this city oh and then he fucks off okay yes um, so I always thought that that's the end of the story yep. until I learned that the rest of the story is that he doesn't pay, uh, they don't want to pay him so then he comes back and when he plays his flute all the kids of the village follows him and he takes them into a cave and kills them yep which is pretty horrifying but that's what I was talking about folktales yeah. they didn't give a fuck about no, kids yeah. they're hardcore yes in like the 17th century <laughs> yes I mean, do you think do you think Martin will actually listen to this whole episode considering how many horrible topics we've been talking about? I hope so. Do you think his sensitive little mind will be able to cope? <laughs> I think uh you should reserve your beef with Martin for a uh, in person. Do it on your own podcast. Oh, yeah, I could do a whole episode about Martin. The, the I Hate Martin podcast by Bendix Express. Yes. Yeah. But thank you very much for joining. Uh yeah, I think only you could have such insight about children dying. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and uh, if anyone out there is wanting to have a baby with Bendik, <laughs> then um, please call in. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put you on a list. <laughs> well, wasn't that nice? Uh, thank you again, Bendik, for uh, for being on the episode. You know, however terrible and horrible these topics are, he always just has like the best insight to it because he's consumed so much of this media for so long. Which... Uh, I think it makes him a very interesting person, but I love having Bendik on the podcast, so thanks uh, for joining again. This was a really fun episode. It was like, ooh, juicy and meaty and very fun to talk about. And yeah, I'm just, again, just want to say thank you for listening so far, and I appreciate all the support. Shout out to Ingrid and Mumina again, just for being the best researchers that a guy could ask for. Um, Yeah, and we've got some more great episodes coming up there's uh gonna be maybe like an announcement soon which is uh cool but i'll save that little teaser for now but just thank you so much for for listening i've been joe lawrence this has been the real thing thank you and goodbye
This has been a Bergen Film Club production. Our music is by Wise John. Check them out on Instagram at WISE John Official. Our logo is by Pierre Sophia Brentesen. This episode was produced, mixed, and engineered by Joel Lawrence. Our researchers are Inke Schilfgaibern and Mamina Nazmajit. Want to talk to us about films? Then please send us an email at podcast at bergenfilmclub.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at TheRealThingPod. Check us out on Letterboxd at BFK The Real Thing. Thank you and goodbye. Listen, follow, leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts.